Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. Welcome, welcome, everyone. Um, can I just say, as I said all the time, and if you don't like this, then tough luck. I always talk about the weather here in Minnesota. And can I say, and I'm probably going to get a resounding whoop whoop, but it is probably one of the most glorious days I've been around in a long time. It's cloudy. It's a little damp out. Uh, you know, I'm going to say, so if Jaleb... Jay and Caleb. That's I'm going to combine their name to Jaleb. So if you guys ever listen to this, Jay or Caleb, you're referred to me now as Jaleb. Um, it's kind of weather out, like Seattle-esque weather. Uh, overcast. Right now it's 60 degrees, going to be about 70. This is wonderful weather. As always, I love it. And we're not supposed to get into the 90s until like 4th of July weekend. And... I am ecstatic about it. So, and I want to say to all the dads out there, including myself, all the dads who are watching, um, even uncles who take care of kids or grandparents, any any man, happy Father's Day, happy day to, to all of you. I hope your day is uh, joyful and meaningful and that you get to spend time with kids, uh, people you take care of any of that um and just for me as a father to other fathers out there uh thank you for all you do every day uh being a parent whether a mother or father is of the utmost difficulty so thank you so much for all the hard work that you guys are doing um what am i gonna say oh yes um i would be remiss to say um, come down to Bryant Lick Bowl whenever you can. Um, support them and what they do. They're generous enough to let us meet every Sunday here. Um, so whether you don't come to Revolution, come down and support Bryant Lake Bowl. Um, all these local businesses, and I'm not just saying here in Minneapolis, but all the local businesses during the pandemic uh, were really hurting for people. And now everything's kind of opening back up. So please, 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 if you can, support Bryant Lake Bowl in any which way um, with all the events that they have and things going on. Uh, And they're just, it's a blessing to me, and I know it's a blessing to us here at Revolution that they let us meet here uh, every Sunday. Um, As always, Amanda's down to my left, um, manning the... Amanding? Did I say amanding? No, I didn't. Oh. What's with our puns today? It's great. So she's manning the uh, the computer and our feed. And like I always say, if people come back and watch it later, I know we might not have a lot of people watching today since it's Father's Day. And I'm probably actually going to be doing a quicker sermon just because we have things planned for Father's Day. But I can't leave you guys high and dry on a sunday because that would be a bad that would be a bad move i will say um 
two weeks from now, not next Sunday, but the Sunday after, is actually July 4th, which is our Independence Day. Um, so we're not going to have service because I know I'm going to be busy. I don't know what we're doing yet, but do doing something. So we will not be here live at Bryant Lake Bowl or um, live on the Internet or anything. So giving myself a Sunday off because, you know what, pastors and people need time to recuperate. Am I right, Curtis? So, oh, and then other one quick thing I have I've promoted it on here before a little bit. Um I've been on two podcasts I said a couple weeks ago. They both still happen to drop simultaneously on Tuesday about an hour a different from each other. The first one um that I was on the podcast is called Reconstruction Calls. Uh it's from a spiritual director named Aaron Maines, um based out of Dallas, Texas. We were. I preached a couple weeks ago about doubt, um, kind of at the beginning of James, and he listened to that and liked it. So he actually talked to me a lot about revolution, and he talked to me a lot about my sermon and how. And he's a spiritual director, so we had this really good conversation. It was only about half hour, and then some friends of mine um, who I've known for years. Um, they have a podcast called Sacred Anarchies. They've also have a. Um, group like an educational group that they started called h and co they're based out of um england and um more there i just kind of tell my story my journey of growing up in the assemblies of god and kind of going through the united church of christ and walking away from the ordination track and that was about 40 minutes so i would love it and appreciate it if you guys have some time find it wherever your podcasts are i think both of them are on spotify I know they're on Apple iTunes, um, and I'm sure you could just go to their sites and find them as well. So both those came out last week, so I really appreciate the time for all of those three people letting me letting me talk. And then I've also been busy, um, not just in my day job, but I'm booked solid through the summer for our podcast, Sacred Collective, of um, I'm doing more of a series on just hearing people's stories um, wherever they're at. So I've... And I've, I'm booked up now until September, and people keep calling and DMing me, wanting me to, uh, wanting to be on our podcast. So, going to be busy. And um, I was talking to some family this weekend, and they said how cool it was. And I said it's so sad that most people feel they don't have a place where their story can be heard. And so we're kind of doing that. I know that's not revolution per se, but it's letting you guys know out there. Um, kind of what i'm doing to keep busy besides revolution in my day job so that's happening um so digging in today uh we're in i have to say thank you to curtis i told him this before we started recording that i was going to give him a shout out because we're uh di- diving in and digging more into the book of james and as i've said before uh james is one of those books a lot of people don't like just because uh, it's one of those books, it's one of the only books where it talks about if you have faith in God and Jesus and you don't, and you just have that but you don't have works, like you're not actively every day trying to live that out, then your faith is dead. And more or less what he's saying is you're not a Christian. And I was talking to my brother about it this week because I was telling him what I was going to talk about. And I was like, well, that's why do you think so many churches, regardless of denominations, don't really preach 
on James because that is that is something that's going to piss a lot of your congregants off because a lot of people are like, my faith is my own. I love Jesus, and you know I don't have to do anything about it. I can live however I want. And James, especially all throughout this short book in the Bible, is pretty much saying, hey, you know the teachings of Jesus. I'm his brother, for crying out loud. And if you don't live into that, if you don't live into this faith and you don't act act it out as you should, then you really have no faith. And um, using some fancy theological language, so right living is called orthodoxy. And right practice is orthopraxy. And so people are, in what I was taught in seminary, which is true, you can't have right orthodoxy unless you have the right orthopraxy. They're, they're hand in hand. And I've never forgotten those phrases, and I've never forgotten um, just that understanding. And one of my professors really kind of instilled that into us. He was like, you can't get to right orthodoxy, right belief, right faith, unless your orthopraxy comes first, and then it's it, 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 that's what it's based off of. So today, we're jumping into James chapter 2. I'm sorry if you keep seeing me drink my pop. I need to I need to get my caffeine today. So we're jumping into James chapter 2, um, which is loving your neighbor. And as a lot of people know, when I preach, I put myself under my sermons or these talks because I cannot and I will not preach um, and not put myself in there. I'm not above reproach. I'm like everyone else who watches or who listens. So don't ever think that, oh, Brian's saying all this stuff, but yet, is he living that out? I'm trying to live that out as best as I can, but I'm being honest and forthright and transparent to say that, you know, I'm I'm talking to myself as I'm saying this. So, um, I'm going to start reading out of James chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. So, Amanda put up the link from Bible Gateway if you want to click on that and listen. Or, uh, go back as a reference. My brothers and sisters, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord, the Lord of glory. For if a person wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor person in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor person, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved siblings, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which God has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor person. Are not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme and honor the honorable name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. I think maybe it's not um, not 10, just 1 through 9. So not 1 through 10, but 1 through 9. What's up, Caleb? Hey, y'all. Thanks for watching. Um, 
And like as I was, as I said before, when we look at sections of the Bible, you know, these almost like chapter breaks, much like you see in like a novel or something, it's it's they're broken into areas. And this one is called the sin of partiality. And you might be like, what the hell, Brian? What does partiality mean? Well, I'm going to, I've looked it up and this is what it means. Literally what partiality means out of dictionary.com is a favorable bias or a prejudice. So whenever what I just read, I think they said partiality once or twice. So pretty much what James is writing is you should not have favoritism. You should not have a bias towards people who are rich compared to people who are poor. And what I just, what I think is amazing. And I've always said to people, and I was talking to my brother because we had a Father's Day little excursion earlier this weekend and i said what i love about the story and the teachings of jesus is how subversive they are at when you read scripture so many people and they're like oh like jesus is this lovey-dovey all-inclusive deity which he is but there's so much uh what's the word there's so much angst and sassiness and Rebuke it in only a way that God can do it if you if, if you think about it, and one of the notes that I have is is James is urging us not to be prejudicial prejudicial or biased. He is stating, "Don't have favorites. We are all included in Jesus's circle." And as you just saw me or heard me read, one of the things that James was saying is almost in a way to the rich people to rebuke them. Because in a rich person's mind, they it's like they have this different mentality. You look at the Pharisees, and I think this was more written to pharisaical type people back in the Bible times, or the Pharisees. I don't think he's saying literally right now, oh, if you, you know, make six figures a year and you're providing for your family, you know, you're paying your taxes, you know, paying your bills, and then, you know, giving to charities or stuff. I don't think James is inherently saying that, but I'm thinking he's talking more to the Pharisees of that day because they knew the law and they obeyed the law, but they, pardon my French, but they were assholes. They went around and were like, you're not smart and educated like this. We're God's holy elect. We're God's holy elite. And he, or, and they would just, they like they didn't get it. And how often, though, in our society now, like looking at it in our present te- uh, tense, how often do we look at people, not just in Hollywood, not just sports stars or musicians, but how about people in our own churches? And we know, and not everyone talks about their wealth or, uh, how well they're doing, but you can definitely tell us in churches, and I'm sure we can all think of churches we maybe grew up at or we were a part of, that you knew, like, oh, Tammy Sue, I don't know why I just said Tammy Sue, but Tammy Sue or Billy Bob or Shannon, like, these people are rich. These people have money. And they might not say it, but you could be like, hey, they, you know, they have this big business that they own or uh, they're, you know, lawyers and all this stuff. And I don't think, like I said, I don't think James is saying, hey, being wealthy 
or rich is wrong, but there's it's harder to be what's the word? It's harder to be uh, charitable. It's harder to be um, having this desire to want to help other people out when you're so rich. Because I hear all the time, you hear when like Hurricane Katrina happened, or you heard about when fires happened in California, or droughts, or just terrible things, and you're like, you hear, oh, so and so, this actor spent, uh, donated a million dollars to this cause. Or you hear this football player like, oh, I went back to the community where I lived and where I grew up, and, you know, I spent, I donated my time, but then I gave like, you know, $600,000 to go buy turkeys or something over the holidays. And people, like, you see that and people are like, oh, yay, yay, you know, golf clap, like, it's so great. But really, they didn't do anything that, A, wasn't expected of them, and B, kind of goes back to the parable of the woman with the two coins and then the person that had a lot of money. The person who had a lot of money, who was rich, gave just a portion, a fraction of what they have. And then this woman who had only the only money she had on in her possession that she had just in general was these two coins and she gave it. And that is what, you know, the, the parable was like, this person gave everything she had not knowing if she was going to recoup that, not knowing what's going to happen next. And this other person maybe gave way more money than she did and maybe it was, let's say, $2,000. And the the parable goes, well, look it. And we as the church, a lot of times would look at it and be like, yeah, heck yeah, I'm going to, you know, this person is awesome to me because they just gave $2,000, even though they might make $2 million a year. Where this woman who might make nothing, might be living off Social Security, might be living off of Medicare, she gave everything, her one last red cent, because she believed in the cause, she believed in Jesus. And I think that's exactly, I think this was in James's mind too, or at least when I read it, it's in James, it, that is in my mind. Because we look at it as, as, well, look how much money this person has and what they can do for the church, what they can do for ministry, what they can do for their community. But I think more or less what James is saying is, yes, that is true, but in the same way, it is harder for them to understand the truth in these teachings of Jesus because they're blinded by how much money they really do have. And and I, I this is not going to be a sermon on, you know, like, bettering yourself, making as much money as you can. Hey, I think any human being, religious or not, if you were making a job making $12 an hour and then you got a job making $22 an hour, I hope 100% out of the time that you would go from making $12 an hour to $22 an hour because we need to make a certain amount of money to live and to survive. So I am not saying uh, that is wrong at all. What I'm saying is when people get so ridiculously wealthy, so ridiculously rich, that it blinds them to everything and then, therefore, they turn around and will go to everyone and say, well, God blessed me, God blessed me. And that could be a whole message on, on like, prosperity and and things like that because uh, there's definitely that, that thread uh, in certain parts of Christianity where people are like, oh, 
God's gonna, God says he wants you to be rich and be blessed. Well, and that could be another thing we might put in the show notes. What does rich really mean? Yes, I'm using right now rich as a monetary money thing, but rich could be, uh, having an arrogant attitude, having a holier than thou attitude, having, uh, not humbleness or kindness or meekness, but having that. And you know what? There are so many people who are rich who are very meek, very mild, very humble, but there's just as many who are complete a-holes who the money goes to their head and they're like, well, I'm a hard worker. I'm, I'm this athlete. I'm a movie star. I'm a lawyer. I'm, you know, a realtor or something. But I think what James is urging people to in, in this portion of scripture I read was it is going to be harder for you to understand the kingdom of God as a rich person because you're not needing to rely on these teachings of Jesus because you have everything that you need so far. And as it said earlier, if I'm not mistaken, it said to, it it was saying like if you go to a banquet, if you go to a party, and you as the host see the rich person walk in and you're like, hey, sit next to me. Sit next to me. Because I want to be known but with you like, here I am, Brian. I want this rich person to sit next to me because I know they have money and maybe we're business partners, maybe whatever. But then the poor person walks in and then you say, oh, sit at my feet. And yes, using that kind of symbolism and that metaphor is when you look all throughout Scripture where it was like the right hand of God, I'm on the right hand of God, which is like signifying as an equal. We're co-equals. But when you sit down at below someone's feet... That is a sign, as a metaphor for saying, you're below me, you're less than me. And you might be like, oh, well, Brian, that's, you're just kind of making that, pulling that out of your butt. No, that, that, that is how, pe- that, to this day, if I was like, sit next to me, as a, if I was, like even here, if I was preaching now, and I was like, Amanda, come sit next to me, and Curtis, you come sit b- by my feet, you might be like, oh, well, there's not enough room. No, what that's symbolizing is I think Amanda is a co-equal to me and Curtis is less than. And that's just simply not how the kingdom of God works. Everyone is co-equals. Everyone is in this community together. Everyone is in this community. And James is saying, don't have favoritism. Going back to partiality literally is what it means. Don't show favoritism. Don't show a bias. And it's so hard for us as humans and as Christians not to show bias. Because if I know a popular person in ministry, or I know a popular preacher, or I know uh, a podcaster, because I love podcasting since I do it myself, there's everything inside of me that wants to reach out to these more popular, more favorable people and say, hey, Let's rub shoulders in a way. Let, like, uh, like, help me out. I want to get my brand. I want to get my, you know, thing out there. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily wrong, but even you can see, like, how that s- sinks in to, like, and pervades all of our thinking of, I want to align myself with more famous people or I want to align myself with richer people. I want to align myself with what can get me to this spot or to this end goal quicker and easier than 
than with the hard work that you go into that. And I think, and, and it's not just about, like I said, money or monetary. I think it's a, a mindset. I think when we say rich and Amanda just, and I think you, Amanda, you, you pose the question, what does being rich mean to you? And I said, it doesn't necessarily mean money, but so often we see in scripture and even in our culture, when we see the word rich, it, we, we look at it as money because money is what makes the world go around. Money is what we all need to survive with shelter and food and paying our bills and all that stuff. But he was saying that it's easier for you as a poor person, poor in heart, poor in spirit, maybe not even poor in attitude, but I feel like going back to the woman in the, with the two coins is she was like, what else do I have to lose? What else do I have to lose? I have nothing else to lose. I don't know how I'm going to, you know, pay this bill. And how often of us have we heard it in church where people are like, well, God's not asking you to give everything you have. He need, He wants you to live and he wants you to do that. But once I heard pastors, or not pastors, but professors in seminary, they were like, well, that's actually not true. Because we somehow we say in the Bible that God only tells us to tithe 10% of what we have. That's not found anywhere in Scripture. That is something that the church has come up with and says, oh, well, 10%, like, if you're making $100 a day, well, excuse me, 10 bucks is is you, to the church and 90 bucks is for yourself. And so we kind of use this very archaic way of doing stuff, but in the Bible, it literally says, in a way, like, all your possessions, all your things are now part of the kingdom, or are giving to the community and doing this. And so, and so what this woman did with the parable of the two lost, or the two coins, is she was actually being quite biblical in a way. Cause she was like, here, I, I'm not gonna just give one coin and then keep my other coin. But I'm going to give both of them hoping and praying and trusting in God that he will provide for me. And like I've said, I'm not for one second saying give all your money away to charity, to the poor, and then not know how you're going to live. I, I don't think that's smart. I don't think that's logically possible because then you would be a charitable case yourself if you've given all your money away. However... I think what James is trying to say, and I could be wrong, I could be off base, was it's easier not in a rich person's uh, mindset or context. It's harder for them to have this ideology, this philosophy of taking care of the poor, the widow, the orphan because in their head they're like i can do this i have the money i have the resources to do this but i'm only going to give a fraction of what i have to do it because i want to live i want to live in my nice mansion i want to live in malibu i want to live in you know a penthouse apartment in manhattan or i want to have a ginormous yacht and you know sail around the world then the woman who's a single mom or a single grandmother who is literally like, I have nothing left to give. I have $100 to my name, but yet I'm going to give 50 of that 
to the church. I'm going to give 50 of that to the ministry. That is literally what James is trying to say. It is easier for a person like that, this poor person, to understand these teachings of Jesus than it is for this rich person because this person doesn't have any money. They know what it's like to be poor. They know what it's like to be struggling. Where this person over here who has all this money, all this wealth, all this power, they don't understand. And it goes, and I think this, I didn't mean it to go this way, but as I've been talking about this, that's exactly the, the whole parable. I think it's in Matthew, that whole parable of the woman with the two coins comes back to this. And I tell people all the time, I said, if we as Christians or people who study the Bible, if we're not supposed to look at our lives and, and really try to better ourselves, and I always tell people, it does not say in the Bible that having money is wrong. But it says the, the enviousness of money, the lust of accruing all this wealth, all this money, 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 money. That is what's inherently wrong. Having money to take care of yourself and your family and your loved ones, putting foods on your table, paying your mortgage. There's nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with that. We need that. But it's when you're constantly obsessed, constantly swindling people out of money, making backroom deals, or lying or backstabbing for you to get all this money, then you get all this money and you kind of are like, look at all this money. Oh, I can give to the poor. I can give to the widow. I can give to the orphan. And then a lot of times they'll be in the news. They'll be, somebody will write an article about them and be like, oh my gosh, look how great so-and-so was for doing this. But then they don't write anything about the person who gave everything he or she had to help the community because it wasn't that much money because it this popular person or this wealthy person over here gave all the money that they possibly gave a minimal amount of money that they could so i mean you look at it that way do we want to impress the rich so they can give us more money is it so we can get their money donated to the church when they die and that is a question I've always struggled with. And I don't know if people realize when you're a member at a church, any denomination, liberal, conservative, whatever, when you become a member, they expect you. It's an expectation that you give money, that you tithe a portion of your paycheck every month. And churches have it now where you don't even have to write a slip, write a check, they will automatically deduct it from your bank account. And you just have to sign, you know, like a piece of paper and give them your routing and checking number. And every day at this time, or not every day, like every week or once a month at this time, poof, your money comes out of your bank account and goes to the church. Okay. Not saying that that's necessarily wrong or evil or whatever, but if that's what they have and they want to donate, great. But one thing I find so heinous and so, I would never do this. Call me a bad pastor, call me a bad person, but I just can't do this. In a lot of traditions, they call this an endowment. And I'm not talking about like endowments that hospitals have or that universities and colleges have. 
I'm talking about endowments that churches have. And in a lot of churches, people have it where they go to people who are members of their congregation, who are getting elderly, getting old, and they're like, hey, can you maybe put it in your will or maybe put it in your wherever uh, that a certain amount of your wealth when you die comes back into this church? And it's called an endowment. And 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 if there's and there's a lot of churches, regardless of denominations, who do it. And there's something that feels really dirty and scuzzy to me about doing that. This person or this family is at the end of their life, and then the church comes knocking, and they're like, "Hey, let's say this family has this person who's dying, who's part of the church, has a million dollars in assets and money, tangible money that's theirs, and let's say." The church comes and was like, hey, yeah, you can give this to other organizations. You could give it to Salvation Army. You could give it to the Dorothy Day Center here in Minneapolis. You could give it to an alcohol and drug and treatment center. You could give it to a boy's home or whatever. But they're like, how about you give us maybe 100000 200000 of that and then endow us that money, give us that back. And people might be like, well, Brian, the church is this offshoot of Christ and what it's supposed to be. Hey, I can tell you I've been behind the scenes. I've been behind the scenes in churches and being in board meetings and being in meetings with pastors and other people. And not all that money goes to the betterment of the church. Some do. Some do. Some might be like, oh, this money is going to go back into the general fund and it's going to help support the youth programs or the kids' programs. And if that's what it does, great. Okay, more power to you. But a lot of times it goes into so the pastor can make ten or $15,000 more for the next couple of years. It goes so that the church can get a new swanky sign. It'll be so the, the church can get more carpeting or better carpeting or a better sound system. And I frankly feel when I was coming up with this sermon, that just kept popping into my head, was churches who go to their elderly people who are wealthy are like, they're in a, in a way of saying, hey, you're, you're, we want to have you sit next to us. But then what if I come up to them and say, I literally, at like on my dying days, literally am like, I have a thousand dollars. My family's taken care of. I want you to have this thousand dollars. The church is going to look at me and they'll take it, but they're kind of going to they're going to kind of look at me and be like, "What? Like, what are we going to do with a thousand dollars that we can't already do with this hundred thousand or this two hundred thousand dollars?" And that is the whole point of the lost co- or the woman. I keep saying lost coin. The woman with the two coins. And this, it's this mentality, and it, it invades our, every part of our society, every part of our, like, our lives. I mean, have we had friends who are wealthy because they can take care of us? Have we had relationships where we're like, hey, I know this is wrong. Hey, I might have some theological or even spiritual issues with this, but I like this. This person can take money. Or how many of you have had a friends who were so dirt poor, who couldn't drive, who 
lived in just a scuzzy squalor, you're going to probably look and be like, I don't want to hang out with that person. I want to hang out with this person because they have more to offer me personally. Even though that person might be an asshole to you, but this poor person who has nothing might be Jesus walking to you. And I know this isn't always easy to hear. Like I said, I'm talking to myself. So I don't want people to listen to be like, whoa, Brian, this is kind of heady and, you know, you're making it sound like if you make money and you're quasi-rich that you're evil. No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying our desire for money, our desire for being rich. Hey, the scripture brought this up 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago. This is not anything new. This is not anything that, you know... We just woke up with like a couple years ago and was like, wow, you know, really having so much money and having wealth and all these things, that's really bad. No, people have been saying this for centuries, for millennia of saying money is not bad, but what you do with your money, how you get your money, the flauntingness of money, and going back, the bias, the favoritism we have in this world with rich people. And I've talked to people, okay, one of the richest persons that we know. Who is it? Jeff Bezos, who owns Amazon. I can remember when I started college in 2001, all that Amazon was was a bookseller. It was an online book marketing place. Because I remember someone said, hey, if this book is too expensive in our library or in our books to here at North Central, you can go to Amazon and buy a book. And now Amazon literally sells anything and everything. You can buy coffins. You can buy trips. You can buy uh, anything, like groceries. You know, Amazon owns Whole Foods now. They're they're getting into auto automotive stuff. They're, I mean, they have the Amazon Fire Stick. They have their own TV channel. Amazon keeps buying up all these things. And but I what and what I do I think Jeff Bezos. It needs all that money? No. But if I hear somebody that comes out and says, oh, well, he worked hard to get his money. He did this. He did that. So let's not be jealous of him. I'm like, I'm not jealous that he has hundreds of billions of dollars. I'm mad because all that you see on TV is Jeff Bezos is a billionaire and he's going to the moon because he can afford to do it. Jeff Bezos bought a yacht... And then he bought another yacht to trail behind that other yacht. And people are like, why did he do that? Well, because he can. And I just sit back and I'm like, but this is exactly what it's like in Scripture where it's like we look at everyone and if Jeff Bezos came into any, any church, what churches would not bend over backward to be like, I want Jeff Bezos in my church. I want Jeff Bezos to tithe. I want Jeff Bezos to give me money. Or what person would come in with the $1,000 and say, this is all that I have. This is all that's in my possession. This is all that's in my name. But I want you to have it. The church is going to laugh that poor person right out of the pews. Because they're going to be like, your $1,000 is nothing compared to this billion dollars or $5 million that Jeff Bezos is going to get us. And that's what bothers me so much when we talk about wealth and richness into the world and i will say this i can't tell you how many times i've had conversations with people 
went, and this is how the prosperity is a bunch of bullshit. Because when we read and how so many church- churches teach, Joe Olstein for one, Joyce Meyer for another, Creflo Dollar, I could go on and on, is they equate richness that's said in the Bible to wealth, to money. You're a hard worker. You're a good guy. You're a good woman. You work hard to provide for your family. God wants you to be wealthy. God wants you to be successful. God wants you to be rich. So what does, out of 100 out of 100 people, what is it, when it clicks into the head, what are they saying? God wants me to be wealthy. He wants me to have money. He wants me to have two or three cars. He wants me to have this Porsche or this Lamborghini. He wants me to be able to take my family all over the country, all over the world. And it's like when you sit back and you read portions of Scripture like this in James, and you see the teachings of Jesus, and you see the teachings of the disciples, they're not saying they're not talking about wealth. They're talking about being richness in heart, having the riches of being a nice person. Because what what can you leave as a legacy? Can you leave your money, or are you gonna and or are you gonna leave your legacy of God? You know what, Curtis? Curtis had nothing. I'm not saying you don't, but I'm just using you as an example. But Curtis didn't have a lot of money. He lived a life of modesty. But man alive, if he was not a person of extreme integrity, of kindness, of loving, of giving his shirt off the back for someone. And how often do you hear that said about super, super wealthy people? Gosh, they're the nicest person in the world. Man, they would do anything. They would give all their money away. They would give all their wealth away to help their fellow human being. Folks, this is what this this kind of thinking, this taught, it's transcended. I'm not saying anything new. James, the brother of Jesus, was saying this. Jesus talked like this because going, what is it? Uh, it's easier for, uh, what is that analogy? It's easier for a camel to walk through the needle of an eye than the eye of a needle. The whole, you know, the whole thing. It's, it's, I don't know where I was going with that. It just jumped in my head. I thought I was going to throw another parable in there, but I digress from that. And so I'm not saying that money is wrong but it's funny how at the end of james chapter two or the end of this portion is talking about partiality favoritism money uh richness but at the end in verses eight if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture so it's saying the royal law this key you know kingly and i think james is saying that on purpose royal as this kingdom of God, this royal kingdom of God. And if you're in, in it's, this is what's according to scripture. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And if you're doing this, you are doing well. But if you show favoritism, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. And I will, and I would be remiss to say, I am not saying at all, you shouldn't show favoritism from the poor over the rich because i think we we look at that we look at people in our church we're like oh jim bob over here is a millionaire and he's giving a lot of money to the church and timothy over here is kind of poor but he's still giving money to the church literally what this scripture is saying is 
you shouldn't have favoritism over him or over him. They, they should be equal. They should all be sitting at this table as equals, regardless of the money that he or he can give. And my frustration, what I'm trying to bring home here, everyone, is we, and James is bringing this up, that is a mindset we have to get into. We have to get into the mindset of everyone is included in this kingdom. And one thing I could not stand about my progressive church that I was a part of is you would walk in there and you knew the wealthy people. You knew the rich people. And you knew the people who were barely holding on. You knew the people who were all that their money was coming from Medicare or Social Security. And you knew the people who were single parents and not being able to give a lot of money to the church. And then, like I said, you knew the money, people who had money. And they had this sort of sense of, we're all in this together. But then if someone was like, I, you know, I, I don't like Trump. I think Trump is not the greatest guy, but he's a good, you know, he's a good president. Then everyone would be like, ah, almost like turning your back on them. Or the same thing in conservative Christianity. Oh, I really, you know, I don't believe in hell or I believe this or this. And they're, they're like, ah, I don't really feel comfortable here. And so we, it's that partiality mentality coming in again as i'm going to show favoritism to my tribe to my group of people who believe like me or i'm going to show my favoritism to this tribe and then the rest of the world is looking at us and they're like you're saying you want us to be a part of this but you're showing all this favoritism to just your own tribe to your own people and you're and you're not showing favor and you're you're not supposed to do that i mean james right here these eight verses are so powerful because it's literally saying don't have partiality don't have favoritism to the rich don't have favoritism to the poor you're all equal and you might be like brian you just didn't make sense half your sermon was how being rich and terrible is wrong i have my issues with that i've never come from money and how and is there a jealousy of that absolutely i know people who have never really had to work a day in their life because their grandparents or their parents are very very wealthy good lord i would love to be wealthy and have money and not have to work a day in my life i just would love it. i don't think anybody would have an issue with that but i have to work hard in a manual labor job and in a manual labor field to make money so to support myself i'm not bitter i'm not mad that's just the cards that i was dealt so i'm not saying like you just said i am not saying money or trying to make money is is bad or terrible or wrong it's it's how we treat one another. And that is what James is saying. It's how we treat each other, whether you have money or you don't have money. It's do not have favoritism. Do not have that bias towards one another. Because if you do, you don't understand the kingdom of God. Point blank. You don't understand it. You just don't. And that last verse that I read at the end of there was... This is the royal, holy law. Love your neighbor as yourself. And I always struggle with that because sometimes I hate my neighbor. You know, as I said, and I don't have to keep saying it, but I will. Every Who is your neighbor? Everyone that's not you. So my wife, my daughter, Curtis, you're not me. So that you're my neighbor. And literally the scripture is all about that. I tell people, 
Isn't it funny that the greatest command in the Bible is not saving people, is not pulling people over into your into your religion, but it's simply to love one another. And that's powerful. So the first seven or six or seven verses in, in this was don't have favoritism, don't have favoritism, don't have favoritism, don't treat rich people better, don't treat poor people better. It is, it, but, and it said the poor people probably do get treated worse, the poor people probably do get better. However, don't be biased. Don't show favoritism to the rich people or don't show favoritism to the poor because they're poor. But all of us are in this kingdom together. All of us are included. And it, it, I keep telling people all the time and where I'm at in my faith and my spiritual journey, how hard is it to get where all, all means all? You know, and I tell people there's no but, there's no and, there's no however. Because if you start using that language when you come up with your sermons or when you say this in church or even as a Christian, like, yes, Jesus loves everyone or Jesus includes everyone, however, but then it's like you've lost everything. Because you're, you're putting stipulations in there to, to God's love. And that's how many people have walked away from faith altogether. Because it's like, oh, you're doubting. You're asking questions. Yeah, that's cool and great and everything, people. But we don't want you in our group anymore. But this, or however this. Literally, it's and, and this doesn't say this in James. It says it all over the Gospels. It says it all over the epistles. The greatest commandment, the royal law, is to love your neighbor as yourself. And you see all these stories, you see these metaphors, you see the parables. They're all saying this. They're all leading to this. If people are to say, why do people, why do Christians say, or why do you say, Brian, that the epitome of who God is is love? Because Jesus talks about it all throughout the New Testament. Jesus is like, I am love. And how do you know that I love people? By loving one another. When I can accept Curtis, and I can accept Amanda, and I can accept whoever, just as they are, with all of our warts and insecurities and things that we do in life, but if I can accept them and they can accept me, that is literally what Christ talked about, As I accept you. I don't have to agree with everything that everyone does, but you don't have to talk about it. And that's another thing I can't stand. People are like, well, I accept Joe Schmo. I accept blah, blah, blah. But it's wrong with what they're doing. It's wrong that they say this. It's wrong how they live their life. But that's not showing them unconditional love like God shows them. And we so often do that. And that's why I've left a lot of churches. Because they're like, we love everyone. We accept everyone. Da, 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 da. And then, but it's this but statements. It's these however statements. It's like however. And then I look at them and I'm like, you're just putting your own mentality, you're putting your own opinions, you're putting your own ideologies in there, and God makes it pretty, pretty clear through James, through the Gospels, is that we all are one and we're all together in this community. And I will say this, wrapped up. I thought it was going to be shorter, but uh, get on my tangent here. And hey, it's what I went to school for is to preach, so I guess I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, right? Partiality means 
do not have favoritism. Do not have a bias towards one another. And I am preaching to myself when I talk. I am very, very suspect. I'm very angry towards wealthy, rich people because I have never come from money. If I, I'm two or three bad, huge, monumental things away from happening in my life, and then I'm living out on the street. You know? But that's reality. That's life. But I can't, therefore, as a person who doesn't have a lot of money, go to somebody who is wealthy and look at them and say, you're terrible, you're not a Christian, da-da-da, because literally James is saying, do not have favoritism, do not have partiality, do not show bias, because if we're all loving one another, if we're loving one another, then that's the, that's the whole point. That is the whole point of the gospel, is to love one another as you love yourself. So hopefully this made sense. I'm going to definitely chew on it um, today. Maybe not as much today because I want to have some time for myself as a dad on our special day. But definitely through this week, I'll be thinking about it more and chomping on the bit and kind of coming to grips of how my mentality and my attitude needs to change as well. Um, before I turn off the mic, does anybody have courtesy of anything to say? You're good. Um, as always, uh, this will be um, up in a couple minutes afterwards. And I really say if you appreciate what we do, we're, um, we can't do it without the watches. We can't do it without people, you know, saying, hey, you know, to a friend or a neighbor to watch this. I will say, however, we've been asked by some people, even in our own congregation, if there's a way they can donate. And we're going to... We don't have a website or anything yet, but we're coming up with a Venmo account. Um, it's either going to be a Venmo account with my name on it or with Revolution. Because if it comes to me, it's going to go right back into Revolution. If it's Revolution, then it's going to go to Revolution, obviously. So that will probably be up within a week or two so that if anybody wants to support us, like I said, everything that we do goes right back into here. Paying for rent when we have to. Um helping us buy equipment if we want to buy more microphones, a better light, more gear. Because um, I think it would be kind of fun to take this on the road sometime. Like renting out a place like in Duluth and promoting it and saying, hey, Revolution's on the road this week and come to this bar or come to this room and we'll be there. Just thinking out loud. but So we'll set that up in the next week or two. And like I said, uh, I've said, and like Jay said before when he was here, we love your money and we like your money, but we love you more than money. We love you as people and as this community far more. Um, but to get better and better at what we do, we do need money to support this, even though I just talked about money. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Um, so till next time, everyone, much love to you all, and have a good day. Bye.